All right, all right, all right. All right, welcome back. Veterans Assembly Hall podcast. That's what you're dialed up to. You know that because you like it. Thanks for listening. Veterans Assembly Hall podcast is up here in the Merrimack Valley of Massachusetts in New Hampshire. We talk about local events, things that are important to our veterans, and just some generally gee whiz facts, mostly military related. We're just getting started. Stick around. We're going to be talking about the reverse boot camp. It's a, it's a bill that was filed to help transitioning troops back into civilian life. I think that's really relative uh, this these days. It's Black History Month. We're going to talk about some people that you probably know that served in the military. Then we're going to wrap up with some uh, unusual American museums. Yeah, I just did get my Legion and my VFW magazines, and that's where this is all coming from. But there's some great topics. Stick around. Veterans Assembly Hall Podcast. Glad to have you with us. Seems like every time I do one of these, I have to say, hey, it's been a while since we did one. Welcome back. We're going to get started. But that is the COVID life we live. Uh, Life gets in the way. It's hard to get these podcasts out, but we're trying. I appreciate you listening. If anybody is listening, probably talking to myself, but I don't mind doing that either. Uh, for uh, For the February, February 15th. Uh, podcast. So we're going to jump right into it. Like I said, I just got my VFW and my Legion uh, magazines, American Legion magazines for February. I didn't just get them. I just got two of them. Let's put it that way. And uh, like I usually do on the podcast, sometimes I just dedicate the podcast to stuff that's in the magazine because, you know, we don't give a lot of people get these magazines and throw away. A lot of people don't belong. I have a whole podcast on belonging to these organizations, how important it is. Um, but they're doing a good job now. They're, they're really trying to, uh, liven up those publications they put out every month. Yeah. It's still a printed publication, um, uh, because there's pretty wide spectrum of veterans, not all electronically connected. Um, anyway, uh, and they're doing a much better job at putting material in the magazines. It's a legislative and relative to our veterans community that's of interest, and it's just plain weird. And we're going to hit all three of those today. <laughs> That's it. All three of them on today's podcast. All right. Uh, like I said, I appreciate you listening. There is, if you go to our Facebook page, we have a Veterans Assembly Hall Facebook page. We also have the podcast webpage. Uh, there's a phone number on there you can dial. And if you want to be part of the show, dial it. Uh, leave me a message. If it's interesting enough, I'll even call you back. But uh, we'll play the message. We'll talk about the message. We'll get you on. Um, we're going to be getting into that season where we're going out. We're going to be doing more street stuff again this year with the Veterans Assembly. So watch for us at local events up here in the Merrimack Valley. We'll be setting up a table. We'll be talking open mic uh, with veterans and finding out what's on their mind, what's hot, what's what matters to them, uh, what they want to bitch about, whatever. Whatever. I'm open to it all, really. This is a platform. We are the voice of veterans. So... We provide that platform for folks up here. Uh, so today's, uh, like I said, we're going through the magazine. It's not necessarily going to be exclusive to our Merrimack Valley community, but let's start with the first one. There's a proposal out there. Uh, was submitted. It's called the bill. The bill is called the David J. Harvey Jr. and Adam Lambert Improving Service Members Transition 
to reduce Veterans Suicide Act. It's Senate Bill 4900. Boy, it's a mouthful. That was introduced by Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio, co-sponsored by Senator Richard Blumenthal down there in Connecticut, a local guy, and Senator Johnny Erst, and I'm not saying it, just that's the way his name is, Johnny Erst. He's out there in Iowa. The three of them co-sponsored this bill um, to address uh, what well, helps transitioning troops. And I've talked about this on the podcast before, uh, just my own personal experience and talking to other people. Um, when you come back from a deployment, uh, it is like trying to jump back on a treadmill that's already moving and you're trying to rejoin your life where you left it and has moved six, three, six months a year forward, sometimes 14 months forward from last time you were a quote unquote civilian. And for, I was a guardsman for a long time. I did all components of uh, the air force. I was in the active duty. I was on reserves. And then I found the guard. I was in the guard for a long time. I did three out of my four deployments were in the guard. So I, when you're coming back from the guard you're, or the reserves, you're going back to a civilian life, to an alternate identity, if you will. Um, and it's a hard balance to make. Some, I'm not saying it's hard, any easier than being on active duty, but the difference of active duty is you return back to the base environment. So you have a lot of connection um, and a lot of opportunity to connect. Uh, when you go back out into the community, it's a little bit different. When you come home with your family who hasn't had those experiences, uh, friends who are completely removed from it. I remember getting one, one of the first times I, or not the first time, but one of the times I arrived, I was there during the big push, I think in 2010, where we plussed up all the troops in Afghanistan. It was standing room over the, only over there, and it really was. Uh, most of our lodging in, inside the wire stuff was at capacity. Um, we had a lot of troops. There was a lot of activity. We were making contact and, and engaged in a lot of different operations in the country at the time. And I remember what my reaction was when I got there. Uh, my spin-up, uh, being in the Guard, I was living that civilian life for a while. I kind of balanced it. To be honest, we were so active, it was... It was really close to 50 50. I was, I was on orders a lot. So um, it really was, made you wonder which one was the part time job. But that was just the nature of the beast. But for other people, that may not even been the case. They, I'm not saying anybody was doing one week in a month and two weeks a year. That's gone. That ship has sailed if you didn't get the memo on it. But uh, a lot of people may not have been engaged as much. Uh, they might have been doing more traditional guardsman type stuff, reserve stuff. But anyway, even if you were on an active duty base and you were in your traditional training status, when you got over the, the, to the theater, the, the reaction you had to have, the reaction I had was, holy cow, there is so much going on over here and you don't hear a word about it back home. And that was the truth. I mean, we were engaged in this war for 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, it no longer was the headline. You didn't get the daily report. Uh, like if you, you know, we're kind of ending, we're kind of getting into that with COVID, right? We um, remember it was every day. There was a little ticker on the right side of the, um, of the newscasters to, to let remind you how bad this was, blah, blah, blah. And now we're, we're getting a little, uh, I'm not saying tired of it, but this fatigue sets in. And so it starts to slide off there and, of course, if you watch the news, you know, it's, I guess it is about COVID. I don't know, but it's not the same. And this, that was the truth over there. Uh, after a long engagement, it really wasn't prevalent and talked about. 
so when you get there, there's a little bit of a shock, a little bit of a slap in the face that um, the way the operations, the intensity of the operations, uh, you know, you suddenly become immersed in it. And the only thing that you see for the next six, eight, ten months, a year is uh, the, the combat operations, uh, whatever your capacity of operating over there was. Um, that's all you're exposed to. It's around you all the time. All right. It's around you all the time. And it, that's not that's true. It, not even just if you were in a traditional uh, sense at Iraq or Afghanistan, if you were down at Qatar at the at the AOC or at Ayadid uh, or um, Diego Garcia or wherever, uh, Ramstein, you're you have, you know, you engage in it differently. But the point is, when you suddenly slow down and transition back, we historically in the past didn't do a really good job about that but it's very much we're very much aware that we did not do a good job about that and so for years we've been trying to correct that we've been trying to address that of course there's been a lot of veterans groups who've been very vocal about that saying hey look the suicide rate is uncomfortably high unacceptably high and we put we attribute that to the fact that we're just cutting people loose and expecting them to go back to their lives with all the baggage that we gave them if there was any and there always is okay this is the one of the big misconceptions this is this I've talked about this on the podcast too before this is one of the big misconceptions the fact that you weren't out there it, everybody thinks well if i wasn't in in a movie all right if i wasn't uh, in the in the grass with rounds flying by me, and there's I'm not diminishing anybody's experience. Those are very intense experiences. But what my point is is when you deploy and when you come back, the intensity is the same, uh, is very similar, regardless regardless of what you did, because the 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 intensity of that experience is what you bring back. And everybody reacts to it differently. Some people are able to compartmentalize that. There are no question. There are folks that get injured, see people get injured, killed. uh, And that is a whole other level of trauma um, and stress that they bring back. I'm not equating one to the other. So be clear. Don't send me the hate mail for that. What I'm saying is we have the larger population of people that return don't fit into that billet. Okay. They fit into uh, I went and served and I did my thing. I, I was I was cooking food. I was uh, in the motor pool, and I was uh, I was making sure things ran every day. I would, whatever they re, th- listen. It takes an army to to do this stuff, right? That's the saying. It takes a village. It takes an army to do this. Stuff. It takes a whole comp- whole unit to do this to do this operation. And when people come back, that intensity of that experience, the fact that they were deployed and removed from their family and their children and their loved ones for that period of time, the fact that they are having that intense change from that environment where it's very structured and in your face, and we talk about uh, if this alarm goes off, this is what you do, and you know you hear stories, it, whatever capacity it was, and then you come back here and it's like, hey, get in your car, go to the supermarket, buy your, buy your groceries, everything's fine. Um, it's different, and people travel through that experience differently, okay? Um, so that's what we're talking about. When we're talking about transitioning troops, we're talking about you all, okay? We're not just talking about uh, people that have a CIB or air metal or uh, anything like that, and there's no knock on that. That You know, I have the greatest amount of respect. I, I have two of those myself. Um, you know, every, I have the greatest amount of respect for people to do that. I know exactly what you did, but I'm saying 
transitioning troops is everybody that went downrange when you come back. And I think that's what the pe- one of the pieces that we, uh, even in the veterans community, get caught up on. There's two things like, hey, I didn't really serve. Or I didn't really deserve uh, the recognition that I got. Or B, I'm just going to bury it and not talk about it because that's what's expected of veterans every turn. Um, I'm just going to bury it and pretend it didn't happen. Uh, that's what makes you macho. That's what makes you... Ha- appropriate when you come back you go on youtube there's a thousand people shaming other veterans on there i don't go for that that's not my gig um people that know me know i'm a pretty sincere person i'm a huge veterans advocate and and i don't all veterans all veterans okay that's it all right anyway if this bill going back to this bill it's called they they call it the reverse boot camp but it's got that huge long name and i'm not that's probably uh I have to look that up. There's probably some significance. But Daniel J. Harvey Jr. and Adam Lambert improving service members' transition to reduce veteran suicide. Senate Bill 4900 has now been entered. If signed into law, this bill will establish a pilot program at 10 transition assistance sites on military bases. So this is going to be on base. The program will include mental health counseling for troops that are then leaving the military. Okay, that's good. At least get them some contact, all right? You know, nobody wants to participate in that. Everybody's concerned about being labeled and having some baggage if you sought um, mental health counseling. And that's legit. We have to change that. But that's legit. Look, in my industry, if I went and saw a mental health counselor, I would be very, very, very concerned that my livelihood would be taken away from me. Okay. So that's, that's a legit concern. And, and people, you know, give the stiff arm when the mental health, I people come around. My wife is in mental health. She's a mental health counselor. Okay. Um, so I live with somebody who does it. And I say that all the time to her, when you're downrange, you have the, Hey, how you doing guys? Um, you're very suspect about the, Hey, how you doing guys? Right. The, the, they're either the priests or a very nondescript individual that kind of gets to know you over there at the MWR rec tent, whatever you want to call it. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the, the, um, chaplains will have like a chaplain's tent, um, to lure you in with coffee and music and sit and read. And I used to love going to that. That was my escape. I could go in there and not talk to anybody. But inevitably, some hey, how you doing guy would come up to me like, hey, how you doing? I'm doing fine. You know, and he, he's trying to, they're doing a little mental check, I think, on you. I always thought that was the case. Maybe it wasn't. I'm just That's what I always thought. Anyway, uh, tragedy assistance program counseling will uh, include uh, discussions about possible, and this is why I, like, this is why I wanted to bring this article up, possibly a loss of community or identity crisis when transitioning to civilian life. That's what I'm talking about, folks. Loss of community and identity crisis. You're coming back. If I left in 2020 and I'm coming back in 2021, I'm not coming back in 2021. Mentally, uh, my perceptual condition is that I'm coming back in 2020. I'm coming back where I left off, okay? It's like if somebody, I always say this, if somebody leaves a job and then goes away for a couple of years and then comes back to that, they gets rehired back to a job. The problem with rehiring somebody back is that you're rehiring them back at whatever point they left. They don't know what occurred when you left, since they've been gone. In those two years, the way the job or the house or the family has morphed, they haven't been a part of that. They've read about it through emails and stuff. We've experienced it through um, 
online stuff, but they haven't been here and been a part of it, so it's different when you come back. A smaller analogy of that is my wife likes to rearrange the cabinets because she just puts stuff in wherever it wants. I'm more structured. The certain cups go in certain spots. Call me crazy. That's just the way I am. Um, but she's not that way. So if I'm gone for any period of time, I come back, the cabinet is one of my biggest stressors. And that's not even a, <laughs> it's a joke, but it's not. That cabinet is one of my stressors because as soon as I open that cabinet, everything's in the wrong spot. And I will inevitably pull that cabinet down, completely restack it. The same thing with the refrigerator. I'm the same way in there. I'll pull the whole refrigerator out and restack it. I, I know that's <laughs> that's pretty crazy stuff. Um, it's not to an extreme event, but uh, it's a good example of how when when you're not around and you come back, things have changed, and that can little things like that over and over and over again around the house. Little inside jokes. Oh, we do it this way now. We go for a walk at this time rather than the other. What are the subtle changes can just create more and more and more stress and and perhaps more and more distance. Um, so this is what I mean by loss of community and identity crisis transitioning back. The loss of community is your friends might have moved on, right? Hey, they might have moved on, and it's kind of hard to reconnect. I mean, we all know friends, we're, if you're lucky enough to have those friends that stay with you your whole life, good on you. I, I envy you. Um, I'm really lucky right now to be in a good place and have some very, very strong friends who I hope I'll have for the rest of my life. Um, but the reality is over my period of my life, I've had different groups of friends and um, I value them all. Um, but, you know, th- for whatever reason, we've moved on. Things have changed. Circumstances have changed. And that could be the same thing here. Um, it just geography. They might have moved away. Right. And when you come back, they're not there anymore. And so those outlets, those sanity checks, that connection is not uh, present. All right. Um, troops will be provided with information regarding me- the availability of mental health programs. Look, we've been doing that. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not new. That's not news to me. We've been trying since we recognized we're doing a poor job of transitioning troops. The first solution was to fill them up with pamphlets. Uh, I remember one of my redeployment phases, we had to go over for the got back to the base, had to go over for mandatory uh, fun with um, turned out it was with the mental health uh, folks and. You know, I walked out of there with a pile of paperwork. That did me no good. I don't think I ever read it. Um, I know I disposed of it at some point and never, it's not It's not in front of me right now. And I'm not sure what the intent was there. I mean, except, except to say, well, if you go online, you can register for this and you have this available. And if you want to come over here and talk to us, you can do this. Uh, I think it's got to be a little more proactive than that, folks. Uh, just letting people know what's available uh, may not. Hell, you might as well just set up a VSO and let me go in. At least if I go into a VSO on base, like I do in the airport, at least I have a connection. Somebody's in there. Happy woman is going to give me some treats, and she'll start a conversation with me. And if I if it's on base and I come back several times, and you know maybe she says, if you need this, here's how you do it. That's different, but I don't know. I feel like this is just a pamphlet, uh, funding for more pamphlets that do squat. All right. It would require the transition transitioning vil, uh, military members submit their medical records to the VA regardless of whether they choose to utilize the benefits. Hmm. Are we just setting a baseline? All right. I'm a little. You know, maybe I'm a little suspect. The VA. You know, uh, not suspect of the VA. I'm suspect of your VA benefits. They always want a baseline. If you submit your records, are they creating the baseline? Of course, if you go back to create the baseline, they always ask for your records. So it's the same thing anyway. They're trying to get you in the system. I'm not opposed to that. Um, 
just do it the right way, okay? Let's do it the right way for the right reasons. But I'm not opposed to putting people in the system. Um, that way, if they need something, um, that way, if they need something, we'll, we'll figure out what, how to get it to them. All right. Uh, Tom Week is a military corps veteran and a life member of the VFW post in seven eight VFW post seventy eight eighty three out there in Westerville, Ohio. He's a big advocate for this bill. Um, thanks, Tom, for for a advocating for this bill. I actually maybe I will try and get in touch with Tom and get Tom on here so he can uh, kind of talk to us a little bit about this bill. And thanks again, uh, Tom, for being a life member of the VFW. I think that's important for people to be involved. Uh, there's a picture of him here, handsome looking gent and a young man. So um, he, good on two accounts. He says uh, he was one of ten student vets who were part of last year's VFW SVA uh, fellowship program in Washington, D.C. This guy's a mover and a shaker. He is. I'm going to tell you right now, he's a mover and a shaker, and he's advocating for the Senate Bill 4900. Uh, I'd like to talk to you, Tom. Tom, if you're listening to my podcast, which I know you're not, I would really love uh, for you to to talk, call in, and we'll have a conversation. But anyway, Tom said the bill is the first step towards properly transitioning our troops out of the military, and I agree with that. He says our current transition program does not prepare our veterans for the grief, emotion, and emotional and mental stressors they will face when they leave the military. Hundred percent, hundred percent agree with Tom on this. We are uh, like mine. Uh, Week. I hope I say your last name wrong. Right. Uh, Week is a student at the Ohio State University. We've witnessed our failure to address the transition process. In staggering rates of veteran suicide, substance misuse, and homelessness. Yep, completely agree with that. And if uh, we're in the Merrimack Valley up here, we are an advocate, and we talk a lot about the veterans in the Merrimack Valley, Massachusetts, New Hampshire. And if you're up here, um, the Lowell uh, Veterans Commission is actually talking about these very same topics. They have a meeting this week, and I saw the agenda. Uh, similar topics on their agenda for this coming week. Um, by providing uh, veterans with valuable knowledge and a healthy support system to navigate their transition, they'd be more likely to succeed in their post-military life. Uh, Blumenthal, he's down there in Connecticut, he called this a reverse boot camp, stating that it would uh, prevent deaths of transitioning members, military members. We only hope so, sir, uh, that that is indeed the case. Um, we've lost far too many, as they say, of our nation's bravest to suicide, PTSD, TBI, and other conditions they suffered uh, in isolation, in isolation, and more so now. In these crazy times we've, we're in, uh, you on this podcast, I have said we are isolated too much as a veterans community. I cannot say that. I scream at our own Drake American Legion. We are vet, we are isolated too much. Open the doors. Get the Legion open. Let's start doing stuff. People need places to go. Younger people need it especially. Um, all veterans do, but I think uh, the longer you're out, the better suited you are. Um, Assessing the pilot program for five years, the bill will require that the defense and VA secretaries evaluate a possible expansion. And I hope that expansion moves out into the community, off the bases and into those uh, veterans that are in our guards and uh, reserves. Uh, really do. Hey, Tom, I'm going to reach out to you. So then I'm guessing you'll go back and listen to this podcast. So um, I'm going to reach out. I want to get him on here. We want to talk about this because this, these topics, these topics are the topics that I talk about on this podcast all the time. Um, those of you that are still with me at 23 minutes listening to the podcast, 
know that and um, don't stick around. It's going to get lighter. I know that was a heavy subject. It's a good subject. These are good dudes trying to do good things for our veterans, and I'm all over it. Um, I'm coming back. I'm going to talk about it's Black History Month. We're going to talk about uh, some folks that you know, uh, mostly from the big screen, that served in our military, and I think this is really cool. So uh, stick around, and then um, we're going to wrap up with five unusual American museums. I'm, I'm all over this. I'm actually probably going to road trip to a few of these. All right, stick around. Don't go anywhere. This is the Veterans Assembly Hall podcast. Wow, that cuts out fast. <laughs> Got to get rid of that track. All right. Um, I just need, I actually needed a little bigger break than that. Uh, I got myself all worked up. And my arms are swing, swinging all over the place. Um, and my arms are all over the place. All right. Anyway, uh, celebrating the iconic black veterans. This is in the VFW magazine this month as well. And um, okay, hang on. And and it's and there's some folks on here that I wanted to highlight that I thought was really cool. Okay, first one, first one, and this is the picture, opening picture that they have here from uh, August fifth of two thousand two. Picture of our friend Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. He was going out on an orientation flight in the T thirty seven at Columbus. He so he enlisted in the Air Force with the intention of becoming a pilot. Uh, and I'm, and I only wish he had because he's. He doesn't know what he's missing out on. He ended up uh, as a radar tech and eventually uh, did his, he did four years, rose in rank, and and we all know what happened after that. He uh, he got in the movies and did some fantastic movies, movies that I absolutely um, love Morgan Freeman as an actor. He seems like a great person. I've not met him, uh, full disclosure. I have flown the T-37, though, and um, <laughs> the tweets are all gone now, I think. The T-1A is taken over, uh, but in its day, that was a... Interesting aircraft from built in 1957. Uh, had been around a long time. Uh, it looked like he served in that time frame. So, you know, he probably was a new aircraft when he first came online, and I'm sure he enjoyed that flight. It was um, that's a great airplane to fly. It's side by side, not tandem seating, and it's a pretty easy to, aircraft to fly. Though in the day when I was flying at the beginning of my career. Didn't feel like it was all that easy. <laughs> uh, the next one, um, Tracy Marrow. You might not know him as that, but you'd probably know him as Ice-T. He uh, served in the Army. He's from uh, Newark, New Jersey, native. Eventually lost his, both of his parents at an early age. Um, that led him to bounce around and live with some of his, uh, his aunts and uncles. After high school, he enlisted in the Army. Uh, 25th Infantry Division at Schofield Barracks in Hawaii. Four years, served for four years uh, before he went on to launch a very successful hip-hop career. Uh, and now an acting career. Uh, if you've most recently seen him in Law & Order, Special Victims Unit. He's outstanding. He, he's been in there for a while. Uh, just look at some of the other stuff he did. Johnny Mnemonic, 95. New Jack City, good Lord. That takes me back. 1991. Remember that New York, New Jack City? That was a long time ago. That was a really uh, intense movie. Uh, but Ice-T, uh, you know, I can see it. Actually, I can see it in him, that he definitely was uh, was in the Army. Um, yeah, I mean, he has that structure to him, right? 
okay, here's an interesting one. Barry Gordon Jr. I actually knew this name. Uh, he was the founder of Motown Records in Detroit. Yeah. He served in the Army, and not just that, he served during the Korean War. He's a Korean War veteran, uh, 1951. Ended his service in 53 and found himself uh, working on uh, Ford Motor Company uh, production line and then ended up uh, going into music business. That's awesome. Uh, David Robinson, uh, Hall of Famer uh, from uh, Basketball Hall of Famer. He served in the Navy. I uh, apologize. Don't know a lot about uh, David, uh, except what I'm reading here. He gra- oh, graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy, where he majored in mathematics and then served in the Navy from 83 to 89. Hey, David and I, actually, we were in it. I went into the service about that same time, that same period. And, uh, man, majored in mathematics. I, I, dude, holy crap, huh? I, yeah, that's Math and me have never uh, been great friends, and uh, good on him. He's an academy graduate. Uh, He was assigned to the Civil Engineering Corps at the Navy Submarine Base in Kings Bay, Georgia. I did engineering work and uh, helped with their recruiting campaign at the same time. Seven foot one was drafted by the Spurs in 87 and played for the franchise from 89 to 2003, six seasons, Rookie of the Year, MVP, and Player of the Year. Good on him. David Robinson, uh, Navy veteran, and a very uh, – and I should also say that he's been renowned off the court as a philanthropist. Uh, so he's given back to the community. Um, just a good example of success there. Um, this is one, of my, is one of my favorites. This is this next one's one of my favorites. James Earl Jones. All right. Now, uh, just was watching Hunt for Red October the other day, and they call you know Admiral Greer, right? Was that his name, Admiral? Yeah, he's. Um, I, I love James Earl Jones. Uh, I've loved his work. I've respected him. I think he's a classy guy. Uh, he was in the army, also a Korean War veteran. Also a Korean War veteran. This is cool. I love this part because I actually can relate to this. He joined the Army in 53 following uh, his time at the University of Michigan where he in, excelled in Persian rifles drill team. I, we had Persian rifles right over here. UMass Lowell was Lowell at the time. And um, we actually, the interesting thing was we had an Air Force detachment, not an Army detachment. Um, but for a long while, that Air Force detachment maintained a Persian Rifles chapter, which was actually an Army ROTC uh, type of a thing. That was, um, that's, that's pretty interesting. Anyway, uh, so James Earl Jones, he looks like he, uh, he goes to Ranger School, um, helps, he helped out, am I reading the right one, same one? Is that still him? Or did we change somebody else? Because it's, you know, that's him. No kidding. All right. Uh, he helped establish the Cold Weather Training Command up at Leadville, uh, Colorado. Anybody been to Leadville? I have. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's the top of a mountain. It's the highest uh, airport in the country and very interesting uh, location. Anyway, he's critically acclaimed for his movie roles. Dr. Strangelove, uh, one of the classics. I love that. You got to go back and watch it. Dr. Strangelove is one of those ones you got to watch a couple of times. Um, I believe that's the one where uh, they're in the, um, the planning room and um, – George C. Scott is like, you can't fight in the war room. <laughs> it's cl- some classic stuff in there. Uh, very good stuff. Uh, Coming to America. I didn't know he was in that. Feel the dreams. Yes. 
Yes, flew out. Actually, was flying through the Midwest and landed in an airport one day, and there was a sign above the FBO. It said uh, "Home of Field of the Dream." So I asked the kid that was working there, "What does that mean?" And he's like, "The field they filmed it at is like ten miles down the street." I only wish I had more time. I, w- I literally would have jumped in a car and driven down there. I just love that. Um, Kevin Costner is awesome in that, and he, him, and James Earl Jones play off each other fantastically. It's um, if you haven't dialed that one up, there's one to put on your watch list. Uh, Hunt for Red October, I just watched the other day. That one still stands up. 1990, that was made. And, um, man, that was good. Patriot Games, I wasn't as big a fan of that one or Claire and Present Danger. But Hunt for Red October, I really, really enjoyed. He got two Tony Awards, an honorary Academy Award. He should have got it. Honorary. He should have got a real Academy Award. Uh, two Emmys and a Grammy. Um, he's well-deserved for all those awards and probably many, many more. All right, our next one. Um before we wrap up, it's going to be Lawrence Terald. Um, Don't know him? Yes, you do. Mr. T. Mr. T. Remember him? Yeah, served in the Army um, before finding his way on the NBC uh, show The A-Team from 1983 to 87. <laughs> Mr. T. How about that? He enlisted in the Army in 75 and served with the Military Police Corps. I can see that. You can see that. He was awarded a, a letter of recommendation by his drill commander um, as a top trainee of the cycle out of 6,000 troops. He was rated as the top trainee. You know he was a motivated guy. He's like, let's go, let's go. <laughs> right, remember him? Let's go. Yeah, he was motivated. Um, he was probably more motivating than the drill instructors. Mr. T began growing his uh, Mr. T persona with his famous gold chains and nod to discarded jewelry. It was a nod to dis- discarded jewelry he had picked up at nightclubs during the night. That's interesting. And his mohawk uh, hairdo, which we all know. His reputation as a bouncer led Mr. T into personal bodyguarding. Uh, he protected um, Steve McQueen, Diana Ross, and Muhammad Ali. And then uh, he got into, uh, he started doing some some basic typecasting roles and ended up, uh, I don't know, he retired from acting after being diagnosed with T-cell of lymphoma in 1995. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Uh, although he beat the cancer after undergoing years of treatment, he currently lives in Los Angeles where he continues to advocate for veterans and cancer survivors. Mr. T, no kidding. Like, that's really good shit. There. That's really good stuff. Really good stuff. All right, let's roll right into this last segment. And um, so Black History Month. Good on you. Uh, them, there are thousands and thousands of stories out there. Seek them out. This is a veterans broadcast. We talked about veterans, but they're in every facet of our life. Um, get to know what's going on in your community. Get to know your community members. And um, there's some fantastic stories every month. We have a different theme. This is Black History Month, and we'll highlight um, those success stories. Those are really inspiring. All right, this one, five unusual American museums. I'm telling you, right now I'm road tripping to one of these. I already am. I know I am. All right, first one is the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. I have been to Vegas a bunch of times. I didn't know there was a mob museum. I wonder if it's new. Officially called the National Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement, the Mob Museum chronicles the birth and evolution of organized crime in the United States. Eh, That might be kind of interesting. Exhibits on Prohibition, the St. Valentine's Day's Massacre, uh, Al Capone, J. Edgar Hoover. Visitors can list in actual wiretaps, check out uh, forensic labs, tour speakeasy. With an on-site distillery, so hey, come on, man, hey, you know you can make a make an afternoon out of it over there. It's a mob museum. It's Las Vegas. It's Sin City. You know that's what happens. 
That's the first one. The second one is uh, the Spam Museum in Austin, Minnesota. You heard me right. This is a free museum, free museum that celebrates canned pre-cooked meat. Spam. Uh, became a staple for U.S. troops during World War II. Yeah, that's true. All right. Uh, visitors can learn the history of the Hormel brand and the worldwide popularity uh, with interactive videos, displays, hands-on activities, and you can even sample a bit of the spam while you're there. <laughs> there are spam ambassadors, spam ambassadors that will uh, gladly help you out with that. That's very good. All right. Here's the one I'm doing. Road tri- I'm road tripping to this one. Number three on our list. The International UFO Museum in Roswell, New Mexico. Now, I've been to Roswell, New Mexico, and it's everything alien there. I do remember that. Um, We deployed there uh, back in the 80s. It used to be an old B-52 base. We redeployed in there for a red flag operation. Anyway, uh, the International UFO Museum in Roswell, New Mexico, the site of the mysterious crash in 1947. Roswell is the ideal location for this museum. No argument. Absolutely no argument with that. Uh, The museum collects material and information related to the infamous Roswell incident, um, as well as other interesting aspects of UFO history, science, and research. You can pick up souvenirs. Admission is five bucks, cheap money. Three bucks for military members and first responders. The International UFO Museum. On my hit list, definitely go on and see that. The next one, number four, International Banana Museum in Mecca, California. Love bananas? This is the museum for you. Uh, It's about an hour south of Palm Springs. Add that to your sightseeing list, they say. um, Inside are more than 25,000 items related to the popular yellow fruit. (laughs) It includes a banana bar. Another place where you can just settle in for the afternoon. Frozen bananas, banana milkshakes, banana bread, all for a dollar for a mission. That's a bargain, and uh, I'm not a crazy banana freak, but uh, if you are, you're all over bananas. International Banana Museum out there in California. And then last, uh, this is in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. I think, you know, Pigeon Forge, I think that's where all of the Dollywood stuff and all that is, if I remember correctly. There's a lot going on down there in that area. I'm, I'm almost 100% sure that's the the area. So you can make a you can make a whole week out of it probably down there. But while you're down there, check out the Alcatraz East, Alcatraz East. That's why it's called East, right? Because Alcatraz West would be in San Fran. Alcatraz East Crime Museums, designed to look like the prison with the guard towers, inspired by the San Francisco Alcatraz Lighthouse. Uh, the East features five galleries on crime history, punishment, criminal investigation, crime fighting, and counterfeit um, crimes. A getaway exhibit, which includes John Dillinger's car. Uh, no kidding. No kidding. Okay, ready for this, guys? Uh, getaway exhibit includes John Dillinger's car and the white Ford Bronco from O.J. Simpson's Chase and Ted Bundy's Volkswagen Beetle. Holy smokes. Uh, it's probably a little bit steep on the price. I think that has to do with the whole area out there is all entertainment now and stuff. Tickets are Twenty six ninety five for adults, nineteen ninety five for your law enforcement and military. Uh, don't get it. That seems a little pricey. It better be a heck of a museum. That's five museums you got to put on your list. Looking for a road trip this summer. Uh, that's where you want to go. Hey, thirty eight minutes. Thanks for listening to the Veterans Assembly Hall podcast. We are the voice of veterans out here in the Merrimack Valley. We speak for you. We provide a platform for you to speak. I rail on this thing every other week or so on the podcast, so you can listen to me. I'll have guests on there. 
you guys already know I'm trying to get this gentleman we got in this bill for the reverse boot camp thing. We're going to try and get him on here, Tom. Um, I really want to talk to him and see what he has to say. I've got some other people I'm trying to line up. I promise way this good weather's coming. I'll be out on the street. I'll open up the mic. I'll let you talk. Tell me what's hot, what's bothering you, uh, what do you want to say, and we'll put it out on the podcast. So this is Veterans Assembly Hall Podcast. Tell your friends. Ooh, misfire there. Tell your friends you definitely want to uh, spread the word. The more people will listen, the more people that benefit. Talk to you later. <laughs>